Hey guys, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Rachel. And you're listening to Sisters Spooked, the podcast where two sisters talk about all the creepy things. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a scary story, suggestions for an episode, or anything really, please email us at sisterspooked at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at sisters underscore spooked. And we also have a secret Facebook group, Sisters Spooked Secret Group. Our website is sisterspooked.com, where you'll be able to find our blog and much more. We're so excited to have you. It's time to get spooky. Sisters Spooked contains graphic and explicit content. We recommend to listen at your discretion, but we hope you stay for the show. Thanks for listening. have you been so two nights ago i'm like i have some new friends that somebody from work introduced me to we went out and i gotten blackout drunk before i had only eaten some leftover chinese food i didn't so i got super super drunk i don't know it was super messy and when i get drunk oh ew <laughs> rachel nicole <laughs> oh my god hey drunk me had a blast so for me is regretting it Oh my god. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, it's messy, but it's okay. You want to know something that's horrible that's happened? What? So, the person who lived below us it was this girl who traveled 90% of the time for work, so she was never home, so it was great. Uh-huh. She moved out, and the person who moved in smokes inside their apartment. Oh, God. Call the so, them. Oh, I already emailed, and I was like, um, hello. So this is happening, and I am having asthma attacks. So <laughs> what are you going to do about it? And then he never responded. <laughs> And so it happened again, and then the next day, it was fine. But then yesterday, I came home from work, and the whole inside of the building smelled like smoke. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I'm really happy about that. That's amazing. I'm going stargazing tonight with my friends. Oh. Actually, I gotta ask, because originally it was just going to be me and Ellie, but I'm going to ask Ellie if she wouldn't mind Julianne came, because Amy left, so. Yeah. I got you. Okay. When did you get back? When? Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit before four. Oh, wow. And so then when you were like, oh, can you call it five? I was like, yeah. And so then I took a shower because <laughs> <laughs> I was just coated in sweat. And then from the fields, it was super windy. And so I breathe. I've been breathing in dust all day. I just put eye drops in my eyes and like you know how you (laughs) this is gross but you know how you get eye boogies yes they were like dirt brown remember remember wait wait remember how i'm trying to be a vet yeah yeah nothing you could say would really gross me out okay well my eye boogies were the color of the the sand and the dirt 
Oh yeah, I, I've had not eye boogies, but nose boogies be brown after uh, working in a sand lot or yes. dirt lot. So yeah, and I'm coughing from that now. So Amazing. yay, yay me. <laughs> but yes sorry I got distracted oh my gosh so I follow this uh, account on Twitter called Chicago Scanner and sorry excuse me bless you thanks that really hurt my soft palate I'm sorry what's that good Anyway, <laughs> continue. <clears throat> so, when Juan and I first moved to Chicago, our friend messaged us and was like, Hey, if you guys aren't doing anything for the fourth, we got tickets to go on a boat. And I was like, Okay, cool. Like, that sounds like a lot of fun. Let's do it. And so, Juan and I ended up getting our tickets last minute because we had already bought tickets to go to. The Cubs game and we didn't know if we were going to be able to make the load time or not before it took off mm-hmm. so we ended up making it and we got our tickets at the last minute and we went on this boat and it was called the Anita D2 <clears throat> oh my gosh excuse me and so I followed this account called Chicago Scanner I promise there's like a light at the end of the tunnel here no I, I think I know where you're going with this <laughs> so they just said which okay first before I read the this tweet from Chicago Scanner I have to tell you it was like the trashiest boat I've ever been on in my whole life there were a million freaking people on it everyone was drunk and I was in the line to go to the bathroom and this girl just like butted her way in front of everyone we had already been in line for like 30 minutes trying to get in to this small ass bathroom on this yacht and I All I said was, hey, just so you know, like, there's a line. We've all been waiting super long, blah, blah, blah. Like, I was not rude. for. I was not even drunk because the drinks were so expensive. We just used the tickets that we got with our initial ticket to get on the boat, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And this girl gets in my face. Like, she is about ready to deck me in the face and all the other girls that are standing around me are like oh my gosh like she didn't even do anything to you calm down blah 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 and so luckily there's a security guard standing right there and it was basically the worst experience I've had in my whole life and so this Chicago scanner thing just said a a fight has broken out on the Anita D2 (laughs) Which I'm not shocked by at all in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Did someone go overboard? Uh, No, no one went overboard, but the police, the water police were called out to the boat. Oh my god. I should have been you making that news. Oh my god, that was awful. So yeah, and so after this girl did that, the security guard on deck literally took her and had to put her in holding because she kept trying to come back and swing at my face. Oh my god. And I was like, girl, it is a freaking bathroom. Like, 
I sh- I sh- in retrospect, I probably just shouldn't have said anything because... In retrospect, you're pretty sassy, so you're probably more sassy than you thought you were. No, I really wasn't, though. The girls in the line at the bathroom were like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. Like, you didn't even say anything mean to her, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I don't know. It was just a freaking nightmare. It was awful. So that's my story about the Anita D2 and... Yeah. Mm. <laughs> super, super fun. Uh, so, yikes. Yikes. Okay, I'm trying to... Hey, what are you doing? Um... Hey, Please remember that I'm wearing headphones. Oh. Well, I did not remember that. <laughs> Apologies. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to get started. Okay, I'm going to pull this up. Our topic this week is women who dismember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dismember my heart. Right. Precisely. Okay, so my topic is super fucked up, and I was initially going to have us do this topic as one of the very first episodes, and so I wrote these notes last October. <laughs> if, oh I sound, if I sound confused or shocked at all during any portions of this, it's because I forgot. <laughs> Wait, uh gonna be a treat this one here so (laughs) so my case is about the a lady named Catherine mary knight and she was born on october 24th 1955 and she's currently well when i wrote this she was 63 but i guess she's still (laughs) 63 because reasons um (laughs) she has been featured on dateline this the episode called Catherine Knight, female killer, NBC Dateline Mysteries. She also has had a documentary uh, made about her, and it's called Cannibal Killer Catherine Knight. So, if that gives you an inkling of how the future is going to go. So first, we'll dabble in her early life and family years. So... Knight was born and raised in a dysfunctional family environment. Her mother was married to her first husband and had four sons before beginning an affair with Ken Knight, a friend and co-worker of her husband. Due to the controversy of the affair, Knight's mother left her husband and four boys, then moved with Ken to a new city in Australia. Oh, this takes place in Australia as well. Your phone? I can hear it buzzing. Oh, uh, okay, hold on. (laughs) Okay, cool, thanks. Okay, so, uh, due to the controversy of the affair, Knight's mother left her husband and four boys with the father. Then she moved with Ken to a new city in Australia. She proceeded to have four additional children children with Ken, and... Two of the children were twin girls who were born in 1955 and Knight or Cat. Oh, Ka- this happened a long time ago? 
1955. Oh, she's she's still alive. Uh, So the twin girls were born in 1955, and Catherine was the younger of the two. So she was the baby of the family. This is where it starts getting a little fucked up. So Ken was an alcoholic and used violence and intimidation to rape Barbara, who was the wife, multiple times a day. She would complain to her daughters about the details of her sex life, but when Knight would complain to her mother about men who would ask her to perform sex acts, she wasn't comfortable. Or no, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. <clears throat> yeah, I was like, me, what? <laughs> but when Knight would complain to her mother about men who would ask her to perform sex acts she wasn't comfortable with, Barbara, Barbara would tell her to stop complaining and put up with it. Oh, okay. You know, just just deal with it. It's fine. Everything's fine. Mama's being needy. Yeah, that's super chill. Like, So she can complain to her daughter, but her daughter can't complain to her. Yeah. In high school, Knight was considered a bully and didn't have many friends, but she was a model student who was often awarded for her good behavior. She left school at 15 without learning how to read or write, which I don't know if that's true or not, because if you're 15, you should already know how to. Yeah, but this is the 50s, though. I mean, like, still at 15, though, like, you should know how to read and write. Not if you're not taught. I guess. All right. Anyway. So she didn't know how to read or write, and she became employed as a cutter in a clothing factory. One year later, she obtained her dream job of cutting up Ofal. Do you know what that is? No. Uh, so Ofal is meat, and this job was at the oh, local... Oh, <laughs> hey, you know, I can have... Oh my gosh, I have an education on this. Okay, tell... talk about this. Okay, tell us. Oh my gosh, okay, so she worked at a meat plant? Uh, slaughterhouse. Yeah, okay, that's the same thing. So, it is statistic, statistically speaking, you'd think that working in a slaughterhouse makes the men more aggressive, but actually, statistically speaking, it makes the women more aggressive, and there are psychopathic tendencies that literally are bred in slaughterhouses, because they start seeing everything as a slab of meat, they'll start being really morbid, and even carry it into their personal lives, being more aggressive to their partners, being oh, more aggressive well, you to just in wait. general. Yeah, like there have been like very psychopathic tendencies reported at slaughterhouses. I did a I did a little pa- mini paper on this and researched it for one of my classes. Well, then this is right up your alley. Yeah, it's a really actually serious thing that's not being addressed very well. Oh, oh yeah. shit! Like no, you're being serious. serious. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. Like it's an actual problem that. And they're not really getting much help. So, like, there have been activists and stuff trying to get more help for people who work in slaughterhouses because it's it's a it's a thing. Oh fuck! Yeah, I don't have the I don't remember the exact percentages, but it's a thing. Okay, well that's creepy as hell, and I don't like that at all. <laughs> and that's well, probably y'all want your meat. That's what's gotta happen. Someone's gotta cut I it off. I know, up. I know, I know. I appreciate it. There's a job for everyone, and. I I could not do it, but I appreciate the people who do. So thank you, people who work in the meat markets. In, I guess, in Australian slang, the slaughterhouse word is abattoir. Abattoir. That means something else in in, in our app, but 
Abattoir. A B A T T O I R. A B A T T O I R. Yeah. Oh, I had no. to look it up because I was uh, like, it what? So, okay. All right. So that's her, uh, I guess, first. Beginning. Yes, beginning into her adulthood. Well, not even because she was only. Anyway, okay, moving on. Okay, so when Knight worked at the slaughterhouse, she met David Stanford Kellett. They married in 1974, and the couple arrived on, or I'm sorry, the couple arrived to their marriage on a motorcycle with Knight driving. Uh, Catherine. (laughs) So. I can't Knight drive. What? I said I can't Knight drive. You, Why? Because I have really bad vision, and well, I like I can, but like it's pretty dangerous. I can't see very well at night. <laughs> I don't know my cones and my eyes, whatever. I mean, cones, I like, I mean, same. I can't see at night, and Juan's always like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I literally can't fucking see." <laughs> but remember too that this girl's name is Catherine Knight. So when I say night, it's not actually night. It's just oh, her. It's night. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, wait. I know, I know you got confused by that, so I, I apologize. So, so the, co- the couple Knight. arrived to their marriage on a motorcycle with Catherine or Catherine Knight driving. Um, and Catherine's mother pulled Kellett aside and offered him some free advice. She said, you better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked don't ever Wait, think her mom said that to him yeah it's not over yet don't ever think of playing up on her or she'll fucking kill you wow <laughs> seems kind of premeditated a little bit right so <clears throat> not a good start to the marriage and <laughs> I forgot about this part. Way to say on the fucking wedding day. Like, I shall kill you. I know. (laughs) I know. So, on the night of their wedding, Knight tried to strangle Kellett because he fell asleep. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I need to pull it together. Uh, Knight tried strangling Kellett because he fell asleep after only having sex with her three times. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, she should be lucky she, she even got that much. <laughs> Greedy bitch. Oh okay. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> after their marriage, the relationship was extremely violent, which is not funny. And I'm so sorry I'm still laughing because of the previous sentence that I just <laughs> said. Um, in one instance, a pregnant Catherine burned all of Kellett's clothing and shoes before hitting him in the head with a frying pan, which I was like, okay, Rapunzel. Um, and night- Not funny. I mean, it's a little... Rapunzel used it to protect herself, not abuse her partner. I know that. Anyway, Knight did this to Kellett because he arri- arrived home from... Uh, let me just restart that. Knight did this because Kellett arrived home late from a darts competition after he reached the finals. So, because Kellett now feared for his life, he fled to a neighbor's house before collapsing from the wound. 
He was later treated for a fractured skull. Police wanted... I know. Police wanted to charge Knight for assault, but Knight was able to convince Kellett into dropping the charges. So she's like a psycho psycho. Yeah. I mean, she's just fucking crazy, so... (laughs) Oh, I can definitely tell, like, all the beer I drank earlier is starting to upset my stomach, but it's fine. (laughs) All right. So, shortly after the birth of their daughter, Melissa... Oh, yeah. Melissa's the daughter's name. Kellett left Knight for another woman and said he was unable to handle Knight's abuse. The day after Kellett left, Knight was seen with baby Melissa violently thrusting her shoulder... Shoulder... Stroller from side to side. Knight was picked up. He left their kid with her? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. I feel like that would be like, I feel like he could like go to jail for that. Oh, just wait. You left your child to, oh my god, what? Yeah, just wait. So Knight was picked up and admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression, which is sad, but also it's like, I don't know. I've never had a kid, so I can't say anything. Um, Knight was released from St. Elmo's a few days later, and she took Melissa and placed her on the train rails shortly before a train was due to arrive. After this, she stole an axe, went into town, and Knight was released from St. Elmo's a few days earlier and regained custody of Melissa and placed her on train rails shortly before a train was due to arrive. After this, she stole an axe, went into town, and threatened to kill multiple people. Luckily, a train worker noticed something on the rails and found Melissa just seconds before the train came in. Knight was again arrested and taken to St. Elmo's Hospital, but was somehow able to sign herself out the next day. So now she has been to the loony bin twice. Actually, I am going to take those words back because I don't know if this is a loony bin. Um, It may have just been like a psych hospital or like Mm -hmm. a part of just a regular hospital. But anyway, moving on. So, oh, Lord, that's a woman. So days later, Knight used her butcher knives to slash a woman's face open and demanded that she drive her to Queensland to find Kellett, her first husband. What the fuck? Yeah. Oh, wait, no. This is still her first husband. Sorry. SOS. Take that out. Rewind. Pretend you didn't hear me. Um, <laughs> the woman obliged. I fucking wonder why. But was able to escape and notify the police after stopping at a gas station to fill up. As police arrived, Knight took a young boy hostage with her knife. The police disarmed Knight and she was admitted into Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. The police informed Kellett of the incident, and because Knight was still his wife, he left his girlfriend and moved back home to where him and Knight previously lived so he could support and take care of her when she was released. Oh, my God. (laughs) So he, like, half-killed himself. I mean, he does not die. Oh. Yeah. All right, spoiler. He doesn't die. I know. Spoiler. So... (laughs) Somebody gets chopped up and it's not him. Yeah. Precisely. 
I'm so sorry. Keep sniffing into the microphone. I'm going to try to cut out as much as I can, but I might not be able to. It's cool. They can do it if anybody (laughs) wants to listen to it. True. Okay. So, Night was released years later in 1976 and was put into Kellett and Kellett's mother's care. Night again. If I were Kellett's mother, I'd be like, fuck this crazy bitch. Yeah, I'd be like, that bitch is not coming into my house. Like, nah, I'm good. And so, this bitch was able to get another job in a slaughterhouse. Like, why? Honestly, I'm not going to lie. It's probably not that hard to get a job at a fucking slaughterhouse. Most people do it when they can't find a job. But it's like, why... Like, no one's dying to work there unless they're a fucking psycho. Well, yeah, but I feel like if you have history of slashing people's faces open with knives, you should not... What's that got to do with working at a slaughterhouse? Because she's got fucking knives carving up the meat. Yeah, but she can take all her anger out at the meat. Oh, Lord. Okay. (laughs) Anyway... Um, homegirl had another daughter with Kellett, and this child's name was Natasha, and she was born in 1980. So, in 1984, Knight left Kellett and moved into her own apartment and started dating again. Uh, lucky man. Yeah, lucky boy. <laughs> Do you remember when Grandpa did that? Did Oh, you weren't there. Okay, do you remember? Yeah. Uh. Well, I mean, I like know of her, but I don't like. I don't think I ever met her. Oh. Okay. So she. Yeah, she ended up like driving by one day, and she was like, "Stephanie, guess what? I have a boyfriend." And you just hear Grandpa in the background, and he goes, "Lucky boy." Oh my god, (laughs) Grandpa! (laughs) Gotta do her dirty like that. Oh, he did her so dirty, but we were all thinking it. He just said it, so. Of course, that's Grandpa. We're all thinking it, but Grandpa will say it. Oh, my God. So, let's talk about um, Knight's second lover. So, Knight met David Saunders in 1986, and in June of 1988, she gave birth to another daughter daughter, daughter (laughs) named Sarah. Uh, Her and Saunders purchased a house, purchased a house, which she decorated with animal skins, animal skulls, horns, animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes and pitchforks, and rakes and pitchforks. So, you know, it was a real horror house. (laughs) Oh, my God. There is no way in hell. That you could get me to step foot into that home. So one evening, Knight and Saunders got into a fight. Shocker. Lord have mercy on him. (laughs) Knight hit Saunders in the face with an iron, then stabbed him in the stomach with scissors. After this happened, Saunders went into hiding. (laughs) Well, no shit. I'd be like, this crazy bitch is after me. Um, Okay. Without success, Knight could not find him. Months later, out of without, fear for his... With, wait, without success, Knight could not find him? Uh, Yeah, she could not find him. Yeah, but you, like, contradicted yourself. Or, like, you, it's a double negative. Okay. So, Knight Un- was Knight unable uns- to find him. Yeah. Knight was unsuccessful in finding him. Is that better? Yes. Okay, thank you. 
All right. So, <laughs> oh my god. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, months later, out of fear for his daughter, Saunders returned tonight, only to find she had went to the police and told them that she was afraid of him. And they issued her an apprehended violence order, which is the equivalent to, like, a restraining order in the U.S. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> she has that record, but she was able to convince police despite that record? Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> so, needless to say, <laughs> they are not together anymore, and she has moved on to John Chillingworth. And there weren't any very... Wait, wait, wait. Is this the third person? This is now the third person. She's moved on. Okay, 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 okay. So there... You made it sound like it was the second person. I was like, wait a second. Oh, sorry. No, this is the third. Okay. So this guy's name is John Chillingworth, and there were not very many details on him, but him and Knight became pregnant... And they gave birth to a baby boy, Eric. They were together for three years before she left him for a man she was having an affair with. What the hell? Is this attractive or what? Why she got all these men falling at her feet? I couldn't find any pictures of her when she was young, but she's not, like, the most hideous person I've seen, but she's not, like, super cute. You know what I mean? She's just an average... An average woman, which is fine. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. So now, now we're moving on to John Price, who is her fourth boyfriend, who she was cheating on her last husband with. John Charles Thomas Price was someone who was described as a terrific bloke, and he worked in mining. He was divorced with three daughters. One lived with the mother and two with Price. Price was fully aware of Knight's violence. Why are you talking like that? Because it's news. It's news time. Oh. Is that fine? Yes. (laughs) Okay, I'll talk normal. (laughs) I don't care. I was just wondering. I was confused. I was like, why is she suddenly talking like it's a hot story? (laughs) Because I was trying to. Okay. Price was fully aware of Knight's violent past when she moved in with him in 1995. The children said they really liked Knight. Fast forward a couple months, Knight and Price often got in fights over his refusal to marry her. And eventually, for revenge, she blackmailed him by videotaping items Price had, quote unquote, stolen from work and sent the tape to his manager. The items that he stole were expired medical kits that Price had taken from the company's garbage. What the hell? So they were literally garbage. They were already thrown out. But Price's manager said his hands were tied and he was fired after working for 17 years with the same company. Oh my god. So Price kicked Knight out of his house, but months later allowed her to to come back. So yeah, you blackmailed me. You got me fired. But it's chill. You can come back. <laughs> you know she has to be good at something. Mm, I see. And you know Stop what your podcast, bitch. What something I'm talking about? <laughs> he 
he's here for her cookies. That's all I'm gonna say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that she could ever be that good that she were willing to put up with a psycho bitch. <laughs> right. Okay. So in February of 2000, after a series of assaults, Knight stabbed Price in the chest. What? <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm so sorry. This is not funny. But at the same time, I'm laughing because these people are so stupid. Like, why? Why would you let someone with a history of violence come back into your life after they've already done so many things to torment and just physically harm and maim you? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, <laughs> Price kicked her out of his home again and obtained a straining, a restraining order, which he hoped would keep her away from him and their children. So at work, Price told his co-workers if he was not at work the next day, it was because Knight murdered him. Um, okay, and despite Price's co-workers' pleas for him to not go home, Price feared for his children if he didn't. When Price arrived home, Knight wasn't there, but she had sent the children to friends' homes for the night to spend the night. Price spent the evening with his neighbors, but returned home to go to bed around 11 p.m. Knight arrived at Price's home while he was sleeping, and she took a shower and woke Price to have sex. Afterwards, he fell back asleep. I can't. Okay. The next day, neighbors became concerned because Price's car was still in the driveway and his co-workers, worried by the warning of the previous day, sent someone to his home to see if everything was okay. And this was around 7 a.m. Price's co-worker noticed blood on the front door and called the police. The he police was like, are- damn, this bitch really knew he was going to die. Right. Um, so the police arrived around 8 a.m. They broke down the back door and found Price's scattered body and night comatose from taking a large number of pills. Oh, Lord. What happened to Price, do you ask? Hmm, maybe he got dismembered. (laughs) Don't give it away. Gosh. You literally said his body parts were scattered around and she was in in a... (laughs) I know. Okay. So, it's presumed that Knight stabbed Price with a butcher's knife while he was sleeping. Price made it all the way to the front door, but stumbled or was potentially dragged back inside to where he died from blood loss. Price's autopsy revealed he was stabbed a minimum of 37 times. Several hours after Price passed, Knight skinned his body and hung his skin from a meat hook on the architrave what the fuck (laughs) yeah she literally skinned his body wow and hung it from a door to the lounge room that's super cute yeah knight also decapitated price and cooked parts of his body to prepare two different meals both of fuck yeah is nasty but just wait just wait It gets worse. The meals were set out on the dinner table. Knight set notes next to each plate with each of the children's names on it. A third meal was thrown onto the back lawn for unknown reasons. Price's head was found in a pot with veggies and was still warm, which would indicate... His head? 
Yes. His head was still warm, which indicated that the cooking had been done in the early morning because, mind you, it was only 8 a.m. What the fuck? <laughs> so Knight put a handwritten note on top of a picture of Price, of Price that read, Time... Okay, this is really bad English, so I am very sorry if I read this horribly. Time got you back, Jonathan, for rapping or raping my daughter or daughter. You too, Beck. Uh, that's Price's daughter's name. You too, Beck, for Ross, for little John, their son. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. Um. These accusations by Knight were dismissed because she's literally fucking crazy and obviously she wrote the note. Oh my god. <laughs> Isn't that absolutely disgusting? No, you know why? I think actually he cooked his own head. Oh yeah, for sure. He obviously dismembered his own head and put it in the pot. Plausible. Mm-hmm. The trial of Catherine Mary Knight. In 2001, Knight entered a plea of not guilty and began her trial in October of 2001. Justice Barry O'Keefe initially offered the 60-person jury the option to be excused due to the nature of evidence, which five accepted. When the witness list was read to the prospects, several more dropped out. Knight's attorney spoke with Keefe to notify him Knight changed her plea to guilty and the whole jury was dismissed, so they had to get a whole ass new jury. Keefe adjourned the trial and ordered a psychiatric assessment to determine if Knight understood the consequences of a guilty plea and was fit to make such a decision. Knight's legal team planned to defend Knight by claiming she suffered from amnesia and dissociation, a claim supported by psychiatrists. How could uh, you possibly, like, feel good about getting a fucking murderer off. Right. Exactly. I'll never understand that. Literally, like, if you know that they're guilty, like, I know it's their job, but if you know that they're fucking guilty, and you have, like, beyond reasonable doubt that they're guilty, you would literally be kind of responsible if anything happened to anyone after that. Exactly. I feel like that's why so many people end up getting killed later. Or harassed because they get these murderers off and the families are like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, look at what happened when Casey Anthony got off. (laughs) The people freaking rioted. It was insane. Yeah. Um, So two psychiatrists concluded that Knight suffered from borderline personality disorder. November 9th. Or I'm sorry, November 8th of 2001, Keefe sentenced Knight to a life in prison without parole. This is the first type, I'm sorry, this is the first time this type of sentencing had been imposed on a woman in Australian history. Oh, I forgot this was in Australia. Yeah. This is not in the U.S. Surprise, actually. Right. (laughs) So, in 2006, Knight appealed the sentence, um, but without surprise, her request was dismissed. And that's the story of Catherine Mary Knight. 
she is still alive today. She obviously is still in jail and she will serve the rest of her life in prison. I am not sure what prison she's in. I didn't I didn't look. My bad, sorry. Well. <sighs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's pretty fucking crazy. I was um, just ugh. Disgusted. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I can't even, like, that's probably one of the grossest things we've talked about. I know. That's pretty insane. You cook your own significant other. Not only cooked him, but literally removed his skin from the body. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Buffalo Bill would like to take some notes from her. (laughs) Oh my god, Rachel. (laughs) You know, it's just how it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Yikes. 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 Mm-hmm. Big yikes. So, a fun time. <laughs> All right. Well, mine is not that long. We'll just jump right into the first murder. All right. So, mine is Kelly Cochran. And this takes place in, like, the north, northern Midwest area. Um, so, on October 13th, 2014, Kelly Cochran and her husband, Jason Cochran, concocted a plan to murder Kelly's co-worker, and, who was also her boyfriend, Christopher Reagan. So, to preface why they would potentially do this is apparently according to kelly they had a pact that they would murder anybody who was basically involved with like some kind of extramarital affair so since she was having an affair with him their pact was that they kill him together which i don't like i don't understand that but okay um how psycho do you have to be that both of you agree that you're just going to kill whoever you fucking, like, have an affair with? Right. Okay, so his name is Christopher Reagan, like I said. So their plan was, I mean, they did execute this plan. So their plan that they stuck to was they lured Reagan into their home with promises of sex. And then they had Jason catch them in the act, like, in parentheses, catch in parentheses, because obviously he helped plan it. So he already knew it was going to happen. After that, Jason caught Reagan, quote-unquote, with his wife, and then he shot him in the head with a twenty-two caliber long-barrel shotgun. Their plan had worked perfectly, and after Reagan's death, Kelly and her husband dismembered Reagan's body. Kelly was, um, sorry, Kelly perched it, purchased an electric handsaw so they were able to cut up the corpse easier. When it was time to dispose of the body, the Cochrans divided up the body between multiple garbage bags and then threw the bags into the woods surrounding the Iron River in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. So, honestly, wow, that's just, like, (laughs) well, and so everything that I've, I haven't been to the UP in Michigan, but my manager at work and another girl that I used to be on a team with at work both lived, uh, I, I don't think they lived there. I think they went to college and UP and it's basically just like never ending forest. Wow. Yeah. So even if someone's body was dumped in the UP, odds are it probably wouldn't have been found for 
weeks or months after it was dumped. Unless someone was specifically going to that very specific part of the woods. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Wow, well, that was crazy. So, Reagan was not reported missing until days later, and the police found his car in an abandoned park and ride lot. I don't know what a park and ride lot is, but I'm assuming it's, it's like a parking lot. Yeah, so it's... Do you, well, like, what park it, your trailers there or something? No, <laughs> no. What it is in Illinois is, so you park, and then a bus picks you up and takes it to, like, a oh. metro train. Oh. Oh, park and ride. Okay. Yeah. You're the one riding. Yeah. Okay. Um. <clears throat> in March 2015, which to give some kind of indication of time is um five months after it happened, um the police searched the Cochran's home. So honestly, at this point, I feel like it'd be kind of pointless because in five months, are you kidding me? Like, what kind of evidence would be left five months later? Right. It's crazy. They, um, they, but, okay, so they searched the house. People reported seeing Kelly and Christopher together shortly before his death. So, um, but since there were no additional leads, a warrant, oh, wait, yeah, there were no additional leads, so because they were seen together shortly before his death, a warrant was served to search their home. The police found no evidence of foul play. I mean, they also searched the Cochran's. Oh, the, <laughs> I was okay. just going to say, like, okay. obviously, because it's so far after they've had time to clean everything up. Yeah. Um, so the police searching the Cochran's home um, was enough to spook Kelly and Jason, so they packed up and moved to Indiana. So the second murder is going to come to a shock, maybe, potentially. So after the Cochran's moved, they were still high up on the Lake County PD's person of interest list. Because you don't just be the last person to see another person and then not have people be suspicious about you. Right, and then move when the after the police come and search your home. Yeah, that's pretty suspicious. So they still didn't have any evidence to bring them in for a conviction. So, yeah, you know, so, so shortly after the move, she fell off the police radar. And then, in February 2016, Jason died of a heroin overdose. Convenient. Jason, if we remember, is the husband. So, Kelly wrote on Facebook that it was, quote, the hardest thing that she will ever have to deal with, end quote. It was later discovered that she had learned that her husband was having an affair. So, dot, dot, dot. You know, if he was having an affair, why didn't they kill her? Hmm? Let's get back to that. <laughs> so, nine weeks after Jason's death, Kelly fled to Indiana because the Iron River PD was finally able to charge her with Reagan's death. Reagan was the boyfriend. So, the U.S. Marshals tracked her all the way to Kentucky where she was arrested on April 28th and sen- sentenced to 65 years in prison. Jeez. She was sentenced to life in prison. For injecting her husband with the lethal dose of heroin. Yeah, that's right. He didn't OD because he was a heroin addict. She OD'd him. And you want to know why? Why? She admitted, she, yeah, she admitted that it's because her husband didn't kill the person he was having an affair with like they had made the pact to do. So because Jason didn't kill his lover, 
she killed him as revenge for killing Reagan. Wow. So, you know, like, she she, she was like, you know, it's not fair. Like, I let you kill Reagan. Like, you should have let me kill your bitch. Jason is just so rude for doing that. Yeah. Crazy, (laughs) crazy. crazy. So, it's also between convictions. You know, it says Cochran's brother. Um, Between convictions, Cochran's brother came forward stating that he believed his sister had nine additional victims but they were but he was unable to say who it was and to put this under perspective if this accusation were to be true it would make her the worst female serial killer in modern america that's insane pretty honestly he probably just said that to like get attention which i don't probably like, he's probably like my sister's already gonna be in jail for that long so whatever yeah hmm yeah interesting so, serving life plus 65 years I wonder if she's still in jail. I mean, she has to be. Because this is in, what, 2014? She literally got convicted, like, three years ago. Oh, okay. Damn. Yeah, she fucked. hmm Well, that's fucked up. We mm-hmm. had two very fucked up cases this week. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, if your topic is women who dismember, then, you know. Well, I mean... Technically, she didn't, like, necessarily have to be the one dismembering. True. It didn't, I guess it didn't specify who did the dismembering, but it, it, you did say she bought the gun, or the saw. Yeah, she, she bought the handsaw to make it easier for them to dismember him. Yikes. Not good. (laughs) Yeah. All right, well. Apparently, couples who kill together don't stay together. Right. Because one of them is probably going to out-crazy the other and kill them. Probably. Well. What a wild time. That's crazy. Well, I have a good news story. (laughs) Let's hear it. All right. So, an alligator has appeared in a Chicago city park. And his name, can you guess it? Allie. No. It's Chance the Snapper. Oh my god. (laughs) That's funny. I fucking love it. Okay, so this has been like the freaking hot ass topic of just everything. It's all I've been able to think about this whole week is a fucking alligator in the Humboldt Park Lagoon. And I oh wanted to see it so bad, but what? just go. <laughs> no, because the poor little alligator has literally been in the lagoon for God knows how long now. And this alligator person is like, the alligator will eventually come out to sun itself. But all y'all are out here in its space oh, and it won't come funny. out. I know. So I feel bad. So I don't want to go and like be that person. So shy. Yeah. It's only four to five feet long, so it was definitely someone's pet, and they it just got too big, and they dumped it, which is sad. Oh, my God. I know. So, okay. We'll get into the story. Um, Chicago has been captivated for several days by an alligator that was spotted in the unlikeliest of locations, a city park on the west side. A community search has been launched for the creature from the lagoon which is about four feet long, weighing between 10 and 30 pounds. 
It has lots of scales, giant nostrils, and beady eyes. Dawn or dusk, crowds gather along the edge of the park's murky, lily-padded lagoon and gaze out, hoping for a glimpse. People clapped when a guy named Bob, a volunteer with the Chicago Herpetological Society, headed out again in a canoe to keep looking. (laughs) Wait, wait, um... Never mind, I'll ask after. Okay. (laughs) So... I, hold on, let me find the part about Alligator Bob. Is it in here? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> the official volunteer who is helping catch the alligator has been dubbed Alligator Bob by local news media. <laughs> a picture was taken of him at the water's edge in a scorching sun, fending off questions from the crowd. Since the, <laughs> since the alligator was first spotted on Tuesday morning, Bob, who did not want his last name to be made public, said that he has captured numerous, <laughs> numerous alligators over the decades in Illinois and has set five traps in the water with temptations that include chicken, fish, and street rats. He all- <laughs> Wait, so he's caught me? A street rat? <laughs> Shut up. (laughs) He has also canoed around, responded to sightings and hollers from the crowd, ready to capture the animal with a net or any other pull device he can find. And yeah, that's all I'm going to read from that because I just can't with this. I can't with Alligator Bob. Alligator Bob is too much. And I'll post a a picture of the alligator and Alligator Bob on on our Twitter and our Instagram for all y'all to take in and view. But yeah, this is like the thing that's happening in Chicago right now. And we cannot deal with it. That's pretty funny. (laughs) It is funny. So tell Amy to be on the lookout for an alligator while she's up here (laughs) this weekend. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) But yeah, that's the good news story this week. I'm surprised that they're not like trying to get it out. They are trying to get it out. Why can't they? Because it's so small and the water in Chicago is so disgusting. They can't see it when it submerges. (laughs) It's kind of sad. So it's their (laughs) own damn fault. Pretty much. Damn. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, all right. Thanks for getting dismembered and spooky with us. Yeah. Stay yes. holy, guys. <laughs> Did you just say stay holy? Yeah. W H O L E Y. Stay holy. Stay <laughs> whole. Stay in one piece. Don't get dismembered. Oh my God. Okay. I just got that. <laughs> okay. Well, now I hate myself and I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye.